He's, he's an amazing bloke. Goodness me. So we're in chapter 44. Quite long readings again, but I think it's, uh, it's important to try and get that sense of the, the heart of this prophet and what he's bringing to the people. So reading from verse 44, 1 to 23, and then uh, two uh, briefer readings from chapter 45. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up like grass in the meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. And some will say, I belong to the Lord. And others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand, the Lord's. And will take the name Israel. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol which can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals and he shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with a compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cut down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is used for fuel, for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm, I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so that they cannot see. Their minds closed so they cannot understand. 
No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? I remember these things, Jacob. For you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests and all your trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. And then on to chapter 45, 1 to 7. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you. I will level the mountains. I will break down the gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures. Riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor that you, though you do not acknowledge me, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. So that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do these things. And then from verse 22 to 25. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone, our deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord And will make their boast in him. It's good stuff, isn't it? Shall we pray? Father God, thank you for your word. The scriptures that we have preserved for us. Thank you that we can even go, if we would like to, to Jerusalem. and, And read the earliest manuscripts of Isaiah in their museum and hold our Bibles up and it's exactly the same. It hasn't been changed. Thank you for the reliability of your word. Thank you that it is trustworthy, a revelation of who you are. So we pray that you'd speak to us from this passage tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Should have got a tray of water out. I think there's there's obviously a coughing bug going around.
poor Caroline. Would you get a glass of water for her? Anyone else? I'll take this moment to have a swig of mine too. We're getting some water for you, Caroline. Thanks. Thanks, Kate. Christmas is coming. Have you heard? Good. There are lots of lovely things that we do at Christmas time. And uh, one of my favorite things in the olden days, you know, in the olden days, was watching the old films that they'd put on at Christmas time. Of course, now in the, in the time of Netflix and Amazon and Sky, you can just watch whatever film you want. But I don't know if you've got an old favorite film that used to come on at Christmas. Any offerings? I know Hermie has Lady Killers. is one of her favorite ones. The old one, not the new one. The old one. Anyone else? Man Who Would Be King. Oh, I love that film. It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. Wizard of Oz, anyone? Well, that was the wrong one to choose as an illustration then, wasn't it? Although now, it's, there are a lot of the old films being used in adverts now, particularly for the Nationwide. No plug for the Nationwide, but they've been using the Wizard of Oz. And you remember the story, a storm hits Kansas, Dorothy and her dog Toto. We have, not Toto, but... I whisked away to the magical land of Oz. And uh, she teams up with, can anyone remember? Scarecrow? Tin Man? You know the film. Cowardly Lion. They have the most amazing adventures dealing with wicked witches and the rest of it. And I was going to ask, but I, I, I felt a bit embarrassed to ask. I was going to ask whether Bridget would sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And I thought I might get a look like that. So... Um, <laughs> I didn't ask. But it's one of the highlights of the film when Dorothy sings somewhere over the rainbow, way up high in a land that I've heard of once in a lullaby. It's been covered by lots of different uh, artists. I've got a a, a CD by Eva Cassidy. Her version is beautiful. And uh, the words, Someday I wish upon a star, wake up where the clouds are far behind me, where trouble melts like lemon drops. And now you're all singing it. Now you can stop that. Stop that. And it evokes that, that kind of sense that we all want a place where there are no dark clouds and no bad days and no broken hearts. And this passage that we've read is Isaiah addressing uh, the people of God who are facing an uncertain future. Troubles seem to be everywhere. And that's what real life is like. And I'm sorry to be a prophet of doom, but if your life has been all easy sailing up to now, I don't think it's going to be for the rest of it. But, you know, I hope it would be for you. But we know that it isn't. If we were to share all our stories together, there would be heartache and pain. 
I wonder if tonight Theresa May wishes she could just click her heels, her famous heels, and it would all be a dream. But it's not like that. Life has its challenges and its ups and downs. And nationally as well as personally. And Isaiah is addressing the people of God. And he's calling on the people of God to face the reality of their situation. They are living in difficult days. The prophet has made clear that it is due to their rebelliousness and sin that they are experiencing these difficult days. And Isaiah isn't speculating about what might happen. I've watched the news for a couple of weeks now, and it's not news anymore. It's speculation of what might be, what if, what will happen. But Isaiah doesn't speculate. He prophesies. God's people will be taken away into exile. Jerusalem will be besieged and will fall, as Israel, the northern kingdom, had done before it. But he also prophesies that one day they will return again. And that, just reading through Isaiah, just this amazing man of God who has an ear to God's heart and God's mouth. He is the Christmas prophet. You know, chapter 7, a virgin birth. Emmanuel, God with us. Chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the one who prophesies that a light will come out of Galilee. Galilee known as the place of the Gentiles. And then later on, we haven't got there yet, but we will, when he predicts the suffering Messiah who will come to bear sins, be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He predicts the new heaven and a new earth to come, both judgment and hope. So here in the midst of the storm, the prophet gives the people of God five, five ways to find strength in the storm. And I just want to briefly look at these five things that I've picked out um, from this passage. And the first one is this, to look up, to acknowledge God. Remember how faithful he is. You notice in the first verses of chapter 44, he keeps reminding them, I chose you, I formed you, you are mine. God loves us. He loves everyone that he's made, always has, always will. He'll never change. He's never left us or abandoned us. Even in our sin, when Paul writes that even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. And even here, with the rebelliousness of his own people, he doesn't turn his back on them. He doesn't say, right, that's it. Yes, it has brought judgment on them. Yes, there is discipline. But his love has not changed. Even in the New Testament, we see Jesus in the boat, in the storm with his disciples. He goes through the storm with them before he commands the wind and the waves to be still. But I imagine for God's people facing exile or when they were rereading Isaiah, once they were in exile in Babylon, they, it may have seemed to them that God had abandoned them. 
It may have seemed to them that God had given up on them. God had failed them. So often when we go through the storms of life, that is when we say, God, where are you? But God never changes. And he has not forgotten his promises. Again and again and again through this passage, he reminds them that he is God and there is no other. But he has not forgotten them. He is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. He is utterly trustworthy. So the first thing, if we find ourselves in a storm as a nation or as individuals, look up. Acknowledge God. Remember how faithful he is. Second step, keep your eyes on him. Don't fall for the temptation to look elsewhere. Keep your eyes on him. Isaiah has to remind the people how far they have drifted from their God. Because he has not moved. And they've foolishly taken their eyes off him. And they had even turned to idols to worship them. And the prophet sees this as the worst kind of sin in a way because it's giving to something else, something man-made, the glory that should be God's alone. And in a superb critique of idolatry, which is why I wanted to read that whole passage that he addresses idolatry, I just think it's so brilliant. And he knows the people of God are prone to taking their eyes off the Lord. You know, they weren't far out of, the, uh, of Egypt. They'd been delivered out of slavery in Egypt by the amazing miracles of God and they find themselves, oh, Moses has been gone a while. Let's make a golden calf and bow down to it. And Isaiah almost in this passage, as, as he declares God's word, he almost mocks the idolatry. Can't you see what you're doing? The same piece of wood that you have chopped down from the tree that you grew, you used to keep yourself warm in the fire. And that same piece of wood that's on the fire, you cook your food on. And then after the other half of it, you make an idol and bow down to it and worship it. Can you not see? Yes, it's even forbidden in the Old Testament. It's breaking the first commandments. Have no other gods before me. Yet they fashioned idols and worshipped them. And he challenges the idols to speak. And they cannot speak. But idolatry is still around. And in some nation, it still takes the form of people making things out of blocks of wood and taking them home, putting them in a shrine and bowing down to them. But what about the idolatry of materialism? The idolatry of money and the love of it. Whatever we put before God is what we idolize. That would be a kind of Summary from the Bible, because that's what you're putting the most worth on. What you worship is what you're putting the most worth on. And we live among a people who are turning their 
hearts and minds to other things. The rise of the occult, the rise of the, the horoscopes in, and the, you know, tarot cards and Ouija boards and mediums. Maybe you're not aware of it, but there is an absolute plethora of that. Every magazine you buy, every newspaper has horoscopes in it. And all it's saying is, take your eyes off the living God and put it somewhere else. It's idolatrous. The idolatry of selfishness and indulgence and what I want, I can have. The celebrity culture. And there's a challenge for the people of God. Whatever the culture we're in worships, we have to struggle against. But that celebrity thing even moves into the church. I mean, I've been watching some TBN stuff, and some of it's really great, and I love it. And there's others, and I think, oh, I'm just cringing. You know, getting people, famous Christian speakers, to sign their Bibles. Would you sign my Bible? I'm thinking, what would you want me to sign your Bible for? Or the idolatry of don't disturb me. I'm quite happy as I am. And underlying this, as the prophet sees, you're not just worshipping idols, but aligning yourselves to the spirit behind them. That is opposed to God. The spirit that is behind every idol is opposed to God. Evil wants to take away worship from God. And God calls us not to take our eyes off him. It's throughout the New Testament as well. 1 John, he ends with just that declaration. Flee from idols. Keep yourself from idols. Third action is to worship. It was just beautiful to come together tonight and to sing the praises of God. And it's just lovely when, when I, I, I know what my message is about and, and I see that Bridget's chosen songs that fit in with every part of the message. Isn't that lovely? We didn't even read and talk about it, but it's. Verse 21, God says, I will never forget you and I will forgive you. What a wonderful thing. And that provokes worship. That God comes to you and says, I will never forget you and I will forgive you. And when you receive that, you want to worship. Because God is so gracious and so wonderful. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Therefore, sing for joy. It's a confession on our lips of what we believe in our hearts. But when we stop worshipping, we start to forget the wonder of it all. When we stop worshipping. I don't feel like worshipping today. Ever had a day like that? I don't feel like worshipping today.
But if we stop worshipping, we'll forget the wonder of it all. So even in the difficult days, even in the storm, even in the midst of it all, to sing out God's praises because he says, I have not forgotten you. I have forgiven you. And when you hear that from God, your heart just melts. Fourth thing is trust. Even when we can't see what God is up to, we trust him because he is good. And he is in control. He actually promises through Isaiah that he will reverse the exile. He promises that he's going to make a new creation. He will accomplish all his plans and purposes. But the shock of chapter 45 for those reading it is, how is he going to do it? He's going to choose a tyrant, pagan king to bring them home again. Cyrus. That's just crazy. God, what are you up to? And not only that, the shocking language that Isaiah says God is declaring, he calls Cyrus his anointed. This pagan king who does not acknowledge God is going to be used by God to bring the people back. And the word anointed, you could see the Greek translation would be Christos. Anointed one. Now he's no match for Jesus. But the shock of it all. And Cyrus will be used to bring the people back. He will shepherd the people back. They will rebuild the temple because of his help. How many of us, when we went to the Standing Strong event with Open Doors... Uh, it was just wonderful. I've mentioned this before, but it just sticks in my mind when Ron Boyd McMillan said, who is the greatest evangelist over the past few decades? And you all thought, oh, you know, who those Christian evangelists might be. And then he showed a picture of Osama bin Laden as the greatest evangelist. And the shock or the laughter that came with that. What? Because so many Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus because they have been disillusioned by the extremism they see in some parts of Islam. And when they encounter the love of Jesus, their hearts melt. And I don't know if it was Ron or another who was just saying about how many Muslims are seeing visions and dreams of Jesus. I've heard it from their lips. I've met ex-Muslims who have just said, I had a vision of Jesus. This man in white came into my room. It was blazing. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, that just makes me tingle all over. God can use anyone. Even a tyrant pagan king, even a terrorist, to fulfill his purposes. And we can either be affronted by that Or we can just say, God, you are amazing. And I will trust you no matter what. William Wilberforce campaigned for the end of slavery. He was helped by a guy called William Pitt, who became prime minister. He wasn't a believer, yet supported it. 
And it was through the help of people like that that the bill got passed. Trust God. He is in control even when you think he's gone crazy. And finally, repent. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. That's a real challenge in our day. Just finished an Alpha course and that's a real challenge to say, there is no God but revealed in Jesus Christ. All the other so-called gods are no gods at all. It's a deception, it's a diversion, it's a lie. And then he declares these wonderful things that I started at the beginning with Paul's writing to the Philippians, quoting from Isaiah. For I am the Lord God and before me every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The Lord alone saves. And Paul writes, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place. Gave him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the prophet says all who have raged against him will be put to shame. And we know all evil will be dealt with one day. Every injustice will be put right. Every sin will be accounted for. All suffering or pain will be no more. So there is a call to the people of God. There is a call upon our lives as the people of God now. There is a call upon the nations to repent. Turn back. Give to God the one and only wholehearted allegiance. The undivided heart that he deserves. May he be your treasure and your delight. And whether you personally are in the midst of trouble or as a nation we recognize that we're in trouble, we can respond by looking up, remembering God's goodness, keeping our eyes on him, not to be distracted by anything else, to worship him for who he is, to trust him in every circumstance, turn back and be saved. For what God has started, he will complete And he will not be stopped by anything or anyone. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the prophet Isaiah who spoke from you into a particular situation. Thank you that he still speaks by your Holy Spirit into our situation. And would you, by your Holy Spirit, apply something of your word to each of our hearts tonight, whatever that may be. And help us to take those steps to keep looking up to you. To receive your word afresh that you have chosen us You have not forgotten us. You have forgiven us. You are with us in the storm. You have covered all our sin. 
Lord, in the very challenges of life, we pray that we would always point to you. And that you would receive all the glory and honor and praise. And may we be a worshipping people. And we sing out our faith. Because you are good. We pray for those who we know who are facing storms right now. Personally. We ask Lord that you would help them. For the nations of the world facing incredible storms. We pray for your mercy, for your persecuted church, your mercy, for our nation, your mercy, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.